Welcome to Questions from the Closet. I'm Ben Shalati. And I'm Charlie Bird. Each episode, we discuss a question we're commonly asked as LGBTQ plus Latter-day Saints. We're not trying to answer this question or come to a consensus, but simply sharing our perspectives. And today's question is, we're not sure yet. We will <laughs> label it later. But we're going to be talking about uh, consent, healthy dating, uh, sexual assault, and some really tough things, and also giving some good information. Yeah. Ben and I are not terribly diverse. We share many experiences... Opinions and life experiences. For example, we both get a lot of texts every day. However, I don't mind, and Charlie hates them. I hate texting. Like, call me old-fashioned. I wish people would call me. Yeah. Okay, we were hanging out not too long ago, and you had a text you hadn't responded to in three months. You, From a really important person. And you're like, ah, I can't respond. I was like, Charlie, just I, respond. I felt so overwhelmed. And, and Ben was like, if they texted me, I would text back immediately. And I was like, I know, but it's been three months. And yeah. I, I get it. I guess I get anxious about texting. I looked at your phone and you had like hundreds of unread text messages. I can't even imagine living like that. Do you want me to tell you how many I have right now? I do. 769. That's crazy. Do you know how many I have right now? Like two. Zero, because I'm up to date. I need to hire you. <laughs> yeah, I'd work for you. Yeah, so if you want, want to reach me, call me. Yeah, Charlie prefers to be called instead of texted. Yeah. But you can do either with me. But I, I like... That sounded... <laughs> inappropriate no it didn't okay <laughs> anyway well we like to provide a variety of voices and perspectives on our show and today we're happy to be joined by abigail morrison hey abigail hello i'm so excited to be here we're so happy to have you thank you for being here like this is something that is really important and i'm i'm happy that you're here yeah no I, and i also like i just really appreciate you making space for this conversation because i think it is it's really important and consent is something that applies to all of us so i'm excited to talk about it. it's one of those things i can talk about more than the average person probably <laughs> well <laughs> that's why we have you on so <laughs> yeah great and so tell us a bit about yourself yeah so um and maybe i'll just start by saying like you know why do you have abigail here talking about consent just kind of my role like where does that come from so um i do i work in a title nine office so title nine offices in the united states um they're they're present at institutions of education that receive federal financial funds. We're not going to go into like all the laws of Title IX. Um, oh, people but, love our <laughs> Yeah, this people is actually not going to be a law yeah. seminar. Uh, <laughs> but one of one of those things that falls under Title IX um, are issues of sexual harassment, sexual misconduct, um, dating violence, domestic violence, sexual assault, all those kinds of things. So, in my role, I'm a deputy Title IX coordinator, and um, I do the education, outreach, prevention. So that's why that's why I'm always talking about consent. So. That's why I'm here. A little bit about me. Um, I, I love to travel a lot. I'm a Utah native, but I... Where have you I traveled always, recently that you've really liked? Um, I recently... I, I went on a trip uh, to Zimbabwe and Botswana oh, that cool. was just... Oh, amazing. Just really, wow. really incredible. So I was, I, mean, I grew up in rural Utah, but the daughter of a pilot. So I always kind of joke, I have one foot here and another foot. Anywhere else. Everywhere else. <laughs> Anywhere else. I yeah, everywhere else. So, yeah. That's awesome. But, yeah. And do you have any connection to the LGBTQ community? Um, it's a community that I've just been aware of and I really care about. I have a lot of friends who are part of that community. And um, and yeah, and, and again, coming from that Title IX perspective, talking about consent, I think this is a community that maybe isn't always getting as much education um, as as they could be. And so it's a community that I'm always kind of thinking about ways of how, how can I reach this community a little bit better. Yeah. Um, that said, I think none of us learn about consent enough. It's not enough a part of our education and uh, and things like that. But yeah, yeah. Yeah. Go ahead. I was going to say, fun fact, Abigail and I used to be in the same ward. 
Oh, really? Yeah, that's true. That's cool. That's true. Yeah. Uh, ben was there the day that um, I had on my Google Calendar the praying emoji because I thought I was going to be giving a prayer in sacrament meeting, <laughs> but uh, I chose the wrong emoji. I, I was actually going to be giving a talk no. that week. So Ben saw me give a talk on the fly. Yeah, I was sitting next to a mutual friend of ours, and she leaned over in the middle and she said she didn't have to tell. She didn't know she was giving a talk because it was excellent. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's very gracious. It was a very good talk. That's yeah. scary. Uh, yeah. You just triggered everyone's anxiety. <laughs> um, speaking of anxiety, I am anxious all the time over the safety of LGBTQ individuals. Um, and how's that for a, a segue? Um, we have talked about the gay adolescents a lot on this podcast and how safety is so crucial. Um, and just, I kind of want to start by giving an overview of that. Um, I've, you know, worked in this space for a long time, both as a, like a clinical therapist and as a, a friend, as an, like an advocate and, um, consent and sexual assault comes up often and within the LGBTQ demographic. I, I see it, especially among gay men within this kind of gay adolescence phase. And essentially this is the idea that, um, many LGBTQ people don't grow up with the same, um, maturing experiences as some straight peers um, for context within like our religious culture. Most people like have the strength of youth and you double date when you're 16 and you're have chaperones and then you single date when you're 18, but you go on missions and you come back and there's like a lot of time to figure out um, like how to date healthily and in a safe way. It's kind of like that on-ramp. On right, things. exactly. Yeah, and and there's also a lot of guidelines, social mm-hmm. standards. Um, and, and protective factors, like you live with pr- your parents. They often meet the people you're going on a date with. Definitely. Your peers know. Yeah. And so what often happens is by the time people are coming to terms with their orientation, they've had a lot of shame around attraction, orientation, sexuality. And... It's often happening um, in college when people are living on their own or they move to a big city, um, they're away from home, and then they kind of fall into this adult dating scene that usually doesn't have the same religious protections because there's not really a really, there's not a clear religious way to date. And so people fall into situations and don't understand consent and feel like they have to give a lot of themselves. Mm -hmm. And I've seen literally hundreds of people, I've, I've spoken with them who've been in some really devastating situations and yeah it breaks my heart and anything i can do to have that not happen is Mm -hmm. i just feel very passionate about it yeah yeah and we should probably have abigail give our trigger warning oh (laughs) yeah yeah so i mean as kind of as a trigger warning right we're going to be talking about um about about mature things about really sensitive kinds of things so talking about sexual assault uh, talking about sex, consent, those kinds of things. So just, yeah, for viewers to kind of know, like, take care of yourselves as you listen to this. Maybe you want to take it in in small increments, or maybe it's not for you right now, or just, you know, be in a safe place while, while you listen, if that's something that's helpful. Yeah. How do you broach this topic with, like, training university students? What do you t- teach them about consent? Yeah, so I think first when we start talking about consent, I mean I'll always ask like what comes to mind and I always I always love hearing what students say. And and it and it really it varies all over the place. We have kind of these legalistic ideas of what consent is and and certainly there's 
there's legal and administrative kinds of definitions of consent um, that, that come up. But what I really get excited about talking about with students is like aiming a little bit higher. Why is consent important? What is a practice of consent? How can we develop that, um, that, that consent muscle, right? It's this thing that's like both really simple and also like putting into practice like a little bit complicated too. And we can acknowledge that. Um, and it's, some, it's a lifelong skill. So something that's kind of interesting, I'll do, you know, workshops and things like this. And uh, my or single students will say, you know, something maybe along the lines of like, well, like consent doesn't really apply to me because I'm not sexually active right now. And then married students will say, well, like consent doesn't really apply to me. I don't really need to learn about it. Like, cause I'm married. Mm-hmm. And, and, and so it's kind of like, actually this applies to every single one of us. Like basically if you're a human interested in touching another human, consent applies. And that's why we have to be talking about it. So we kind of just start from there. Just yeah, like, let's just talk about this. Um, it's, it's about communication. It's about an agreement, right? Knowing I'll, I'll always say, I think consent actually starts first, you know, with you and, and knowing like, what are my yeses? What are my no's? Um, and then it's checking in with your partner and, and eliminating any kind of ambiguity or question mark of what are their yeses and what are their no's? What are their boundaries, right? Creating safety for boundaries that, that might be different from your own too. And, and the thing that's tricky, and you kind of brought this up, um, about sex and, and two, when I say sex, I, I just cast a really wide net to capture any kind of romantic touch. So, you know, any, yeah, that could be hand on the knee, kissing, making out up through marital relations, oral sex, sexual intercourse, any, anything on that spectrum, right. We're going to be wanting, wanting to, um, wanting to make sure that there's consent there. Right. And, um, and so we'll kind of just take it from there talking with students, but sorry, what I, what I was wanting to say is like, yeah, sex is, is experiential. It's, it's not something that you practice in front of people. Like you, you, you do it as, as you do it, right? Like everyone has that first time that they hug someone that they're excited about. That's a little bit different or that first kiss and things like that. And so, I mean, I think it's helpful to first start with like thinking about what are my yeses? What are my no's? What am I comfortable with? What am I not comfortable with? And also acknowledging too, I mean, sometimes we're trying something for the first time too, and, and we're figuring that out. And so being able to develop language to be able to talk throughout things um, and to be checking in with your partner to create safety for your partner, I think is also just a really big thing. Yeah. So Abigail, what does someone do? How do they know their yeses and their no's if they've never had a sexual experience? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think first it's it's maybe some of this is just getting reflective and 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 thinking about where where do my ideas of what my boundaries, where, where do those ideas come from? Um, and, and identifying, yeah, like, and they can come from a lot of different kinds of places, right? Um, maybe a dating boundary when you're living at home, when you're 16 is I have to be home at midnight. That's kind of like an externally enforced type one. Maybe, maybe your ideas of what's a yes and what's a no are informed by, by church ideas. Um, and by information from your young men's, young women's leader, your bishop, you know, whatever that might be. Um, and then seeing like what resonates with me, what doesn't resonate with me. Um, and, and, and going in with some idea of, of what, what am I looking for? And then also, how will I know if it isn't okay? Something that I'll often talk about with students um, is like in, if you're in the moment, um, just this iceberg of hesitation kind of idea. Because sometimes we feel that yes or that no inside. You know, it's like a body almost type feeling of like, 
am I excited about this or am I not? And so this iceberg of hesitation kind of idea with the iceberg, right? Like you have the 10% up top and then there's a much larger body underneath. And I say, first, this conversation starts with self. So say someone says, um, yeah, like maybe, maybe we're going to watch a movie together or something like that. And if that initial reaction on the inside for you is looking like, oh, I don't know, or maybe... And then, and then too, like if you're expressing that out loud, like, I don't know, maybe I'm not sure, like that might be a signal that it represents a much larger no. doesn't mean it's a no forever. Maybe I don't know. Uh, but it's a no for now. Right. And so first doing that with yourself and like checking in with your, with yourself about what's okay with you. And then also doing it with another person. And then likewise exercising that as the other person, if you're the initiating party, like, Hey, I'd really like to kiss you blah, blah, blah. Um, if that response is looking like, hmm, or, you know, or, ah, I don't know, you know, I once was meeting with a student and they were saying, I know it was consensual because the other person was laughing. It's like, well, that laughter could have meant a lot of different kinds of things, right? Like that might've been nervous laughter. Like we don't, we don't know, but it wasn't a yes. And so that's our signal, right? That this is like, we're entering red flag type territory. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure if that answers your question. Yeah, online, definitely. But. I really like the idea of the iceberg of consent mm-hmm. and, or wait, he- hesitation, the iceberg of hesitation. Like if there's a 10% hesitation that you feel, really take the time to see what else is there and what's informing that feeling. Mm-hmm. Is it nervousness? Cause you've never done this before. Is it nervousness because you feel like you shouldn't be doing it or you feel like there's some sort of danger. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I really do think people are happiest when they live according to their values. Mm -hmm. And if you can figure out your values beforehand and then consult them in like a mindful way and experiences, that's going to help. Specific to like the gay demographic of church members. I, what I see often uh, the, the predominant trend is that people will come home from their mission and be dating uh, individuals of the opposite sex and feel a lot of shame and because of like same sex attraction. Um, typically they'll go to like coping strategies or, or often pornography and also like trying to find anywhere where their sexuality or orientation won't be shamed. So they'll go anonymously to um, dating websites to like, threads on like anonymous threads on various websites. Um, and they'll develop like an emotional relationship with someone who's there for them. And and they feel safe because they feel like they won't be rejected for being gay and end up kind of having this relationship where, where their sexual boundaries are nothing ever. And then they have this like intense connection with someone and end up meeting them in a very secret way because Mm -hmm. they don't feel, um, like they they feel too scared to have that be seen, right? So it'll be a, a parked car late at night. They'll go up the canyon or something with someone they've never met and then feel like there's a really uneven power dynamic and end up doing things that they weren't anticipating mm-hmm. or having things done to them that they weren't anticipating. Um, I don't know if you have any initial reactions to that. <laughs> uh, just that I hear these kinds of stories all the time. All the time. Of... of- of, of young people who just want to feel loved and want to be with people who understand them. And they end up doing things that, to, that, that were outside of their value system. A lot to, of placating to, mm-hmm, to, to feel loved. Mm-hmm. And I'll, I'll talk to, to people who will say like, I felt empty after, but I just wanted to feel loved. Like I just wanted someone to mm-hmm. care about me 
or they'll have dated someone who broke up with them and then they'll just want to like so intensely just like want to have that feeling of feeling loved again they'll they'll hook up with a bunch of people Mm -hmm. and and if that's inside of your value system like that's not for us to say like what if that's right or wrong um but for a lot of people that is outside their value system and they they do it because they feel like that this is the only way they feel forced into it they feel pressured Mm -hmm. whether it and and some of it i think ben and i have talked before about like the idea of like i don't want to do this but part of me does want to do it like because of the attraction or the shame or, or whatever like it can be really confusing when you've grown up with no structure and like always like a no never um what what advice would you give to someone who finds themselves in this situation yeah and i, I think there's a couple things to to think about here so one one is someone acting outside of potentially their value system where they feel so i mean and first of all just to acknowledge like we're humans we're wired for connection like these are yeah, this comes from a good place of wanting to connect with other people. Like that's something that we need in this life. Um, and so I, I want to be careful here because I think there are kind of these two things that we're talking about right here. One is maybe the only thing I have to offer here is is sex. And so I'm going to perform sex acts or I'm going to engage in something that is outside my value system. I don't feel good about it. I, I end up with this empty feeling after um but maybe it's it's you're consensually acting, and this is something that I'm still like I'm very I'm very worried about and sensitive to, and and something to talk about. And and then there is also too like this was uh, you know non consensual sexual assault type situation. I think and I think both of those things are really important to talk about. And consent applies to thinking about both of those things um, really carefully. And then also too another thing that I think is really important to talk about and to think about as we as we do discuss these kinds of things. You know, we'll we'll talk about different risk reduction strategies or safe dating strategies. Here's here's some ideas of of how to you know date more safely, and, and just something that's really important is that a person can do all the quote unquote right things, um, or a mix of the right things, the wrong thing, whatever that is. And at the end of the day, you know, if somebody else chooses to violate another person, like it's on them. Right. You know, we we should we should ideally have this reasonable expectation that we can 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 go up the canyon with somebody and and not be assaulted right um so i just want to be really sensitive to that as well i don't want anyone going oh i did i did the wrong thing and so that's why this happened to me um so i just want to be i want to be careful with that but but yeah kind of in reaction you know to your question charlie i i do think um yeah thinking thinking through that i i like i i i think if you've developed this relationship with someone online that can feel really real and also meeting people online is like, that's an okay, normal way to meet people. There's nothing, there's nothing wrong with that. Um, where it can be a a little bit tricky is yeah. Where's there's that secrecy. I mean, I need to meet up with this person in secret. I can't tell anyone I can't be seen in public maybe, um, which does introduce some, some risk, right? Mm -hmm. Cause you are meeting up with someone who at the end of the day, you don't, you don't know for sure. And, And maybe there's, there's not as much trust as you might assume there is, which introduces, yeah, some yeah. risk. What would be some risk there? mitigation tactics mm-hmm. for a situation like that? Because because I do like a lot of people are afraid of adding themselves or like can't. Mm-hmm. And, and like I understand that. And also like how can you interact with people and gain support in a way that reduces the risk? Yeah, I, I, I mean, it would be things like having your own transportation, meeting up 
in in an agreed place, you know, together, ideally in public. If there's some place that's safe that way, you know, maybe it's a few miles away from home. I'm not sure. And I realize like this is an extra layer of complication for this community. Like it, it really is. And I just want to acknowledge that. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it does. It's it's not always my fixes aren't going to be, you know, like... Right, it's not bulletproof. Yeah, it's not bulletproof. But yeah, having your own transportation, meeting in public. If you have a friend that you trust, let them know who you're out with, when to check back in, you know, when when you're expecting to be home, to have someone to check in um, when you come home, things like that. Sharing your location if you have a trust, a trusted person, a friend, a sister, a roommate, whatever that is. Um, hey, I'm going to share my location with you. For the next uh, two hours, I'm meeting up with someone uh, for the first time. I'm really excited about it. But, you know, just to just to be careful, I'm, I'm going to share my location with you. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Things like that. Yeah, definitely. I also love the idea of, like, bringing a friend with you if possible. And, sure. I, and again, like, I think you make a beautiful point. It is a lot more complicated. And yet, I think anything you can do to keep yourself safe and buy yourself security and some sort of familiarity as you're moving into these new experiences. I think that goes with all of coming out. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the more you can like include something secure and grounding to you, the more likely you are to make safer decisions and, um, maybe avoid potentially dangerous situations. And, and also too, if it does not, f- if it doesn't feel good, um, leave, I think there's a, there's a huge part of us and it comes from all different, all different kinds of places. Um, you know, not wanting to be rude, like we've been talking for two months, wherever that's coming from. Um, if you feel uncomfortable, like that's okay. You can just leave. Mm-hmm. Um, I think a lot of people need to know How that. How can someone do that if they don't feel confident in themselves? And or if they're a people pleaser, if they like feel like it's their one shot at some sort of relationship? Mm-hmm. I, I think that's where... And maybe maybe you all could answer this better, but but where some of that... That consent starts with me first. I think sometimes we're the biggest, actually, violators of our own boundaries. Mm-hmm. Um, and sometimes I'll share an example of, you know, to take this completely out of romantic type situations. Um, but say someone asks me at work to take on a project that I don't really want to take on. I don't have capacity for, um, but I want to be a good teammate or something like that. And I and I say yes to it. Right. And it really does overextend me. Like it might impact my life. Like I'm not getting the amount of sleep I need and different things like that. I I, sh- I, I could have advocated for myself in a different way, but I, I violated my own boundaries, you know, in, in that moment, which is not to, to, I hope that doesn't sound blaming. I think we can have love and self-compassion and grace for ourselves and also, you know, be, be developing that voice of consent get get really comfortable with the language of no practice it practice it with yourself look look in look in the mirror and practice saying no i mean you can you can be the friend sometimes in workshops we'll do a little candy exchange uh type activity it sounds really silly and really hokey but we practice saying no you know like can i can i take your piece of candy tell them no like practice getting really comfortable with the language of no it'll serve you in a lot of different kinds of ways throughout your life yeah and i think as as we're talking about you know your question charlie of you know how does someone like develop this ability to say no and like trust their gut i think it just comes with practice like we'll all be in situations where we don't honor what we feel we should do and then we can learn from that and and do better i think it can be especially hard for this community because so many of us grow up with this like core belief of I will only belong if I abandon part of myself. Mm -hmm. And so this like 
<clears throat> like it's safe to abandon myself. Other people's comfort is more important than my own. And that's how many of us learn to blend in to families and find like social safety through closeting ourselves um, and not being authentic. And I, I want, I guess I just want that to be like known. Like it, it is likely I I've been this way. I've seen you be this way. Like I've seen so many LGBTQ individuals grow up feeling that way and kind of like getting used to, Oh, I'm just going to go along with whatever's happening because that's safer. Um, and so it can really be difficult to work that muscle and practicing that practicing authenticity and like honoring your boundaries, honoring who you are is going to be really vital. Absolutely. Yeah. You know, I, uh, I kissed a boy once. <gasps> I know. Benjamin I, James Shalati. I wrote a whole story chapter about it in my book. <laughs> um, but uh, when I said, I've kissed a boy too. No way. <laughs> Similarity. I've kissed a boy also. What? Oh my gosh. <laughs> that should have been our similar indifference. Um, but uh, when I shared the chapter I wrote with, with Jordan, uh, he read it and said I was too kind to him. Mm. And, uh, and which is a little true, because uh, our first kiss, which I shared briefly in, in the book, uh, wasn't in my mind consensual, because I was visiting him. We'd had this online relationship, and uh, and then I came up to Utah. We were hanging out, and I had set these firm boundaries, and I said we were not going to kiss. And then we had been together for like a like a whole day, and we'd been cuddling, and he really wanted to kiss me. And I wanted to kiss him too, but I'd like set this boundary. And then he kept pushing and pushing and pushing. And finally, at like one thirty in the morning, I was like, yeah, let's do it. And then I felt sick after. Like it wasn't a good experience for me because I had made a commitment and then I didn't follow through with that. And, um, and I think that's a really common thing for people to uh, just like to want something so much and just like push and push and push. And I was able to say no for a while, but finally I was like, no, this – I. I want, I'm going to give this guy that I love what he's asking for. Uh, I'm sorry, Ben. Well, I mean, we then kissed consensually the next day well, and, and it was better. Can but, I ask you a question? Yeah. And what was the difference in the non-consensual kiss versus the consensual one and the way you felt afterwards? Yeah. Like I'm a big journaler. And I did not write about that experience in my journal. I was so embarrassed. Mm. I was just so embarrassed. You felt ashamed of it. Definitely. Yeah. And, and, uh, and, but then like the next day we kissed and I was down to kiss at that point. And it was, it was a, a, a good experience. Like, but, but having it the first time we kissed be when I didn't want, like I wasn't ready. Was, I think it was painful. These experiences of crossed boundaries and pressure relate so closely with religious guilt and determining whether or not like acting on same sex attraction feels sinful to the individual. And I just want to be like conscious of, of that difference, you know, like one feels really horrible. Like one felt really horrible to you and the other one felt like more in line with who you were and felt okay. Yeah. And and also I, I just want to say like, like Jordan's not a bad guy. Like he's a great guy and he apologized yeah, and you know, I, I want to say something too to that, and, and and first of all, just recognizing your experience as well, Ben. Like, yeah, like that that's a that's a hard hard thing to experience and a hard thing to reconcile all of that. Um, but like, you're I hear you also say, you know, like Jordan's not a bad guy, and and that's something I I kind of want to touch on a little bit, like with this conversation about consent. Um, is is I think it can happen a lot of different kinds of ways, and this is why we we have to 
we have to develop a language of consent because sometimes I think we can recognize, oh my goodness, was, was I checking in with my partner the way I, I could have been? Was I really creating safety for their boundary? Mm-hmm. Um, gosh, maybe I wasn't. And does that make me a globally bad person? No. Does it mean also, too, that I can be adding more sensitivity and practicing consent in a better, kinder, healthier way and preserving the agency of the other person? Yeah, it could mean that, too. You know, mm-hmm. I think that that happens. Yeah. Why do people push? Oh, why do people push? I think there's probably a hundred different ways to answer to answer that question. I guess I guess I'll say I uh, well maybe first I'll say it's true that people do push. And if you're going to be dating and you're going to be romantic with people in, in whatever capacity that is, right? I kiss and I make out. Like like that's that's a, that's boundary. What I'm saying is this applies everywhere. Mm-hmm. Um No, so it is just I think a reality that people do push. And so being kind of prepared for that a little bit. Again, is this like a thing that should be happening? Like, I mean, I don't think so. I wish like that first hesitation, I wish that iceberg of hesitation, right? I wish that first hesitation was always honored. Sometimes it's not. I think sometimes people aren't aware. I think that's one reason people push. They don't see the hesitation. Like they literally don't notice it. Yeah. And and you're the one going, maybe you're the person on, on, on the couch going like, I... I am like sitting like this. It is so clear. I don't want this. And the other person is like not reading that. I think people push um, for for selfish reasons and also for just they think it's okay or they don't recognize it's a problem. But I guess what I want to say too is, so I don't know why. I mean, we could probably talk all day long, all day long about why people right. push, but I think it is a reality that people... To push and so, and so I think too like having some some self reflection there too of thinking about have I ever pushed so I mean we'll talk about sometimes I have a little graphic that it says no means and then there's try harder ask again uh, you know and and da 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 and, and those are all crossed out and then it's just like no means no so like yeah Ben like your no like it meant no it didn't mean ask me 47 more times and then at 1:30 until it's 1:30 yeah. Yeah, yeah and i'm and i'm worn down and i'm tired and yeah and i have a fairly innocent example of like why people push so um i once had a crush on this girl in my ward and and my roommates were like so excited for us to date. And we like gone out a couple times. She invited me over to watch a movie. And so everyone was like, Ben, you have to hold her hand during this movie. And like no one knew I was gay. And so I was like, like there was all this pressure, like, you have to do this, you have to do this. And so we were sitting watching this movie, and I reached over and held her hand. And I could instantly tell she did not want to be holding my hand. But I didn't know what to do. And after like 20 seconds, she got up and said she had to go to the bathroom. When she sat back down, she was holding a water bottle in the hand next to me. And I was <laughs> mortified. I was mortified. I, I love her. And I remember like, I Girl got found a solution. And I, I got hold of that and I was like, how did this happen? Like, I am gay and I held a woman's hand that didn't want to hold my hand. But I think Where'd that... Where'd your hand clammy, Ben? I don't remember. Let me check. Ah! Is it clam? I don't know. <laughs> um, but I think that there can be like this, like expectations from other people that, like, and sure. like there, there are a lot of reasons why someone might feel the the pressure to push forward a relationship. Yeah, I guess, like, yeah, those social scripts, like, this is what I'm supposed to do. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, I'm supposed to, I'm supposed to kiss as I drop them off. I'm supposed to hold their hand during the movie. 
yeah, I think that's a really real thing. Oftentimes I have people explain a situation to me and they say, I feel weird about it. I don't really know what happened. I haven't figured out. And, and as they process it, they realize that it was a non-consensual situation. And then it like hits them really hard and they feel a lot of shame, mm-hmm. a lot of like guilt, personal blame, um, criticism of their own actions or naivete that got them in a situation. Um, and also just a lot of like frustration that they didn't realize what was happening until like, honestly, sometimes years after the fact, um, what advice would you give to someone who's dealing with the shame of this? Yeah. I think first I would just say like, you're so, you're so normal. Like that's, that's really normal and it's okay to be feeling that. And I hope you can have some self-compassion for yourself, you know, have some grace for yourself, be kind with yourself. Um, I think it's just really easy to, to go, oh, if I'd done this differently or if, oh, what, yeah, why didn't I see that, that, that big red flag? Um, it's really easy to do that. Um, and maybe, maybe there's some utility to that of, can this help me inform future um decisions learning experience but but too often i think we get stuck in that beating ourselves up and the shame and the and the guilt and the self-blame and and i think that that can that can be a kind of vicious really hard cycle to be stuck in so just having some kindness having some self-compassion for yourself i think i think a lot of people feel like beating themselves up will prevent it yeah or explain it it can sometimes like unfairness is hard to explain and, and we want reasons for why something happened. It can make us feel safer. Yeah. Right. To feel like you were in control of the mm-hmm. situation. Like yeah. if you realize you're in a situation without the control, that can be terrifying. It might even feel mm-hmm. easier to say, Oh, I was in control of the situ- situation that might feel safer than to acknowledge the reality that there was a lack of control there. Yeah. And a, a lot of times this is coming from an innocent place, like the want to belong or be needed or be valuable to someone usually comes from a really innocent place. And that's, this is a really complex topic. There's a lot of emotions. There's Mm -hmm. a lot of nervous system dysregulation. Um, so that compassion piece is so important. You talked about self-compassion. Let's say a good friend or family member comes to know that, that someone that they love, Mm -hmm. like experienced some kind of sexual assault or unwanted touching. How can they offer compassion? Yeah, I love that you asked that, Ben, because that I was actually just thinking not only do we have these kind of self-scripts that happen sometimes when these things take place, but also you might, yeah, you might be someone that someone chooses to disclose something to, right? And I think it can be a natural inclination to go, yeah, well, well where were you? It also might come from a self-protective place of that friend, too. Of like, well, what Why'd happened? Why'd you do that? Yeah, and then, and then maybe like... Maybe if I never do that too, like we're looking for reasons. We want to like piece it all together. And and that's what, what we want to avoid, you know, like this isn't the time to say, well, maybe if you didn't post photos like that, or like maybe if you weren't on that Tinder date at 2 a.m., this is, yeah, this is like not that time at all, right? Mm-hmm. So I think if a friend or a loved one, if someone chooses to disclose something sensitive, like sexual assault, unwanted touching, um maybe something that happened in their childhood. I think first is recognizing, you know, thank you for telling me that. 
these are really hard things to talk about. They've chosen to trust you. Like that's an incredible, that's an incredible thing. And it's incredibly brave to talk about these kinds of things. It's not easy to talk about. And then asking, you know, how can I be here for you? Are you needing help knowing about resources that are available to you? Someone, you know, who's gone through something potentially traumatic to them, being able to do some of that legwork of finding them resources can be incredibly helpful. You know, we'll see people, you know, say a Title IX type office situation where a friend is coming in, getting the information for their friend, kind of gathering. They're asking all the questions and then they'll, they'll take that to their friend. Let them know about, uh, you know, here in the state of Utah, like if you're needing medical care, that's free um, mm. for people who have experienced sexual assault. Letting them know those options. But one thing is that I think is really, really important is honoring the autonomy and the agency of mm. of someone, you know, not saying, wow, that's horrible. I'm like, I'm so angry for you. We have to report this right now. You have to go report this to wherever that is, you know, police, mm. Title IX, whatever that is. Just being a, a soft place for them to land, a supportive place. Share um, resources, options without yeah. pressure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Can I share two quick stories? Yeah. And I'm the hero of these stories. My apologies. <laughs> um, surprise, but, surprise, Ben. <laughs> but I had come out to a friend on a Saturday night. And then the next day on Sunday, we were, we were at church together. And after sacrament meeting, she said, Ben, you shared something really vulnerable last night. Can I share something with you after church? I was like, sure. I was like, I don't want to go to Sunday school. Let's just do it right now. She's like, we can wait after church. I was like, let's just do it now. So we found an, an empty room in the church. And, and we sat down on two metal chairs. And, and I was like, what do you want to chat about? And she told me that she had been assaulted at a, at a party like <sighs> two days before. And she's like, I don't know what to do. And she cried and I cried. And I didn't quite know what to do because this was years ago and I, I had less training and experience. And I, I just said, I love you and I'm so sorry this happened. Like, this isn't your fault. And, uh, you know, I, I checked in with her for, for a few days and, and she went and reported it and, and got professional help. Um, later, when I was working at, at, at BYU and teaching a class, um, I had a, a few experiences where, you know, we're, we're talking about vulnerable things in class. And, and after class, um, a student, this happened a few times, came up and said, hey, this thing happened. And, and, and I would tell them, you know, like my reporting responsibility. Um, and then I would say, uh, but you don't have to engage in the process, but I do have to make a report about this. And I'd say, but if you want to talk to someone, uh, we have the sexual assault survivors advocate here, I will go with you. And one of the students wanted to go right then. And we walked over there and had an hour long meeting. And I just, I just remember her, sorry, it just makes me emotional. I just remember her crying and saying like, Ben, I'm so sorry to like have wrecked your day. And like, like I missed appointments to be with her that day. And I said, there is nowhere else I'd rather be than like, you are the most important person on this planet right now. Mm. And, um, and she got a lot of help and she was able to, uh, see someone and, and, uh, I still run into her occasionally and she's doing great. And another student, uh, she's like, I don't want to talk about this. And I said, well, if you want to like, let me know. And I, I, I said, is it okay if I check in with you in a few days? And she said, of course. And I checked in and she said, I'm ready to talk to someone. I said, do you want me to go to the appointment? She said, I don't think so, but could you set it up? And I said, of course. And so I knew how to do that. I emailed the person, set it up, and she also got the help she needed. And, um, it's, you know, I just, uh, it just breaks my heart that people get into these situations where they, they don't know, like, like they, they don't, they, I don't, I don't know quite how to describe it, but people just like, they they don't mean to be there. Like they, they did nothing wrong, yeah. and and then these there's, these are experiences that stay with them for such a long time. Too. It can be really paralyzing. Yeah, and I, I, many people I've talked to have been so 
ashamed of the way they reacted in one of those high stakes situations. They wanted to fight back. They wanted to run away. They wanted to do something, but their system just froze and they felt like they allowed it to happen. And, and I think that's too, yeah, we're, I mean, first of all, talking, you know, to a therapist, for example, could be helpful, but, but yeah, having some, some, some awareness of, of like what are some normal reactions when a person is assaulted or is in a traumatic situation, right? What are some like, of those normal reactions? Right, yeah. Things like we'll, we'll talk about fight, flight, freeze, um, fawn or appeasement, you know, is another one. Um, yeah, because that, that's a really common question. Why didn't I do anything to stop this? Right. Um, so, yeah, like it's really normal to freeze. Or, for example, another thing, another dynamic that... So, so what I heard you say is it's, it's a normal response to fear to appease the person that's frightening you yeah. or threatening you. So can I talk about the appease for, yes, please, for just please. a minute? Because this is, this is something that comes up, and I think this is one where, where it's especially hard for folks to, to feel. I, to differentiate. Yeah, and, and it, it can be really hard. So maybe we're in a situation, I just recently was meeting with someone, um, and, and it... Yeah, it was a, it was a scary situation. The other person wanted them to perform oral sex on on them, and they were pushing their head down very forcefully, you know, to do this. And so the person, you know, who's being forced to do this, instead decided um, to perform hand sex on this person, right? Mm-hmm. In a way to pr- protect themselves, right. um, to make it not as bad. Yeah, and and then was feeling like, why did I why did I do that? I feel disgusting for doing mm-hmm. that. And, and to be able to kind of talk through this a little bit, like that's a normal response. That's like, that's like an adaptive response. You were taking care of yourself. You were doing the best that you could do to protect yourself. And in that moment, that's actually, that's, that's incredible, you know? Um, but that dynamic happens, I think more often than we realize. They're really, there really is something to be said for doing the best you can with the knowledge you have. And when you're confronted with new experiences and again, your nervous system isn't in its regulated state, you can't always control your stress response. Mm-hmm. You can't control what the cortisol and adrenaline flowing through you is going to do dependent on situational factors. And I, I will like, I, I just feel like judging yourself for appeasement or, or for, for freezing, freeze, especially yeah. like, I just, yeah, I just lay there. I didn't do anything. Am I like, what's wrong with that? me? Mm-hmm. Did I actually mm-hmm. want this? And yeah. a- another piece is like arousal non-concordance, which is where the body can have like a physically aroused reaction mm-hmm. to sexual touch, even though it doesn't like this, your brain doesn't want it. Your heart doesn't want it. Like that can happen. And I've talked to so many people who feel so much shame for that. Like yeah. maybe I did want it. Maybe I was just like, trying to sin but maybe i'm pretending that it was assault so i can feel like it wasn't my fault and it can really become complex especially when there's these social and religious pressures and structures and and like self-compassion is so so important because if if you're feeling sick about an experience there's kind of probably a reason you are Mm -hmm. and i don't know what are some red flags someone might notice as they're going on dates, meeting people? What are some ways people can be like, well, this is a situation that maybe I should get out of? Yeah, that's a really, that's a really good question. And I think it's kind of going to depend on what you're comfortable with. Yeah. Yeah. So, so I guess there's, there's that where 
people's red flags are going to be kind of individualized to them a little bit too and and where they're at what they're comfortable with things like that but there are some kind of universal type things to be watching out for i think one of the one of the most important things to know about a relationship is are my boundaries safe with this person um and you can measure that in different kinds of ways. There's different kinds of ways that shows up. Maybe it's you have this date who's laughing that you're afraid to do, you know, rock climbing or something like that. And it's like, oh my gosh, you're such a wimp. Like, and, and there's like some shaming here and some different things. Like, maybe like that's just like not going to be a person who's going to be a really a really safe person to be in relationship with, to be experiencing really vulnerable things with. Mm-hmm. You know, so that's the number one thing that I would be wanting to look out for. Is this a safe, like, are my boundaries safe with this person? You know, things like isolation, someone wanting to control your time, control your access to, to friends, to family, to your interests, things like that. Like, those are major red flags and things that come up. And honestly, I, for some people that can feel really good, that can mm-hmm. initially feel validating. Like, wow, they're so interested in me. Mm-hmm. And yet, like, you really have to have a eye open. And this, this is kind of what terrifies me sometimes when people start dating when they're in the closet. It really scares me because I'm like, there's all of these things that you're not going to be doing or not going to be seeing that maybe it would be better just to be open. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's, you know, people are definitely okay to make whatever decision. I understand that situational factors play into this a lot, but like advice I give to gay individuals is to not be dating if you're not out. Mm-hmm. Like it, 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 it does add openness, a layer of openness yeah. is so important. Mm-hmm. And that doesn't mean like publicly out, but like to someone, like have some sort of support. Mm-hmm. And if you can't talk to your friends, your family, there's an army of middle-aged mom allies <laughs> that would love to talk to you after every date you go on. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe um, you should start a hotline, Ben. <laughs> <laughs> I'm also thinking of like, uh, like getting made fun of for being like not fun or not adventurous or a prude or like mm-hmm. um, some of these kind of like greater cultural expectations for what it means to be sexy or attractive like how would how do those play into consent? Yeah, I like that you said greater cultural expectations. Like that's going to be the the subsequent novel to greater expectations. <laughs> greater cultural expectations. <laughs> greater cultural expectations. Um, yeah, so it's interesting. I recently was meeting with a group of students, and someone was saying essentially, "How do I make myself more attractive?" You're like, "What is it women want?" Like that's like kind of that was the, the <laughs> crux of what this young man's question was. Like, what do they want, and how do I be it? Right. And and the great answer, hair. <laughs> yeah, you definitely. Yeah, no. I come mine off. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, be you. It's it, like maybe you're a prude to somebody. Maybe maybe your boundaries make you make you really silly to someone like that's totally possible. And there's also someone that, that you're going to be an excellent match for that. Yeah. There's going to be a values match there. Or maybe, yeah, you're, you're like, I'm not like a, uh, Oh, whitewater rafting kind of gal like that. That's not the thing I'm into. There's probably going to be someone else who's like not into that as well. So I really do think like living as authentically, um, to yourself, like there's another person out there who, who has similar interests. Yeah. Right? You know, since, since I have, announced that I'm going to start dating. I've gotten so much advice. Yeah. It's been quite annoying, actually. The <laughs> amount of opinions people have about how I should move forward with my life, which it's different than it was before. Anyway, um, but really multiple people have told me that if I'm not willing to have sex before I get married, then it's I'm never going to find anybody. Yeah. Multiple people have told me that. I'm like, well, that's not 
I did it. Yeah. It's, not, it's not true, everyone. Like you, it's you don't have to not. You're, no, but, like, but you're the you only do, one, Charlie. Like there's there's no one else. It's, it's like and now that thinking. Ryan's married, I have no chance. <laughs> yeah. um, but but you know, I, I think that that people have, um, you know, that that could be an easy thing to believe. Um, but I like I'm old enough now and confident enough in my values that I I know how I want to move forward. And if someone else has a different set of values, like that's fine. Like yeah. I don't, they get to choose. Um, but uh, it, it's just so odd that there there are people who like who are like trying to get me to believe and understand like this is what is expected of a dating situation. I have a personal story for that. Um, it's kind of I kind of feel embarrassed, but I mean, again, I guess I just said don't shame yourself for what you didn't know but i was um kind of newly coming out and there was this person that i really look up to um i was like i knew some of their friends and family and i was like this is like a person who's really gonna help me in my path and i was on a trip with some friends and they were in the same city we didn't live next to each other hopefully this doesn't get confusing but i'm gonna try to tell it with like (laughs) as the least detail as possible and I lied to my friends about where I was going and went to meet up with this person because I wanted to like talk with them about being gay and being in the church and like try to figure it out. And um, I met up with them and they were with some friends and it was like, this is like an awful night for me. I've never told the story. I'm getting, I'm like feeling icky even talking about it. (laughs) But like, I was really vulnerable and I wanted to be liked so badly. And so... Because it wasn't just like a mentor, but someone you had a crush on. Yeah, I had a crush on them, but it was... I think initially it was most... It was both, you know? Mm -hmm. And I just wanted to figure out how I fit. And um, I got there and they were drinking alcohol, which is outside of my value set. I don't do that. And they... I like looking back, like, look, I just did it. I was like, I should have known, but they were like, you should drink. Come on. Like, and I was like, I don't want to. And I like really held firm on that. And they're like, well, we're going to this club and we're going to dance. And I felt uncomfortable with it. I'd never been to a gay club before. I was like, ah, but then I was like, I'm a dancer. I'm confident. I feel very comfortable in a dancing social situation. And I just said no to alcohol. Like I'm not scared of that. So whatever. So I, and it, and it, some other gay men met up with this. So now it's a group of like six of us and we go there and I want to be cool. I want to fit in. And part of me was like excited to like be a good dancer and be attractive and like feel free, you know? And so we walk in and we're standing there. And one of the first things that happens is this stranger comes up to me and grabs me and starts touching me inappropriately and like tried to like put his hand down my pants and that must have been so scary. I w- was like shocked. Yeah. I like I didn't know what to do. I was so mad and I like I like elbowed his shoulder and pushed him off me. And I was expecting everyone to like immediately come to my defense and be like, "Whoa." Yeah. And they were all like, "Bro, chill out." And I was like, "Excuse me? Like th- this man just like totally encroached on my personal space like like sexually assaulted me in public Mm -hmm. and they were like that's just how it is here like at least you're hot like he chose you for a reason and i was so upset and i from there like looking back i went into this like override mode and i stayed the rest of the night with them i was very guarded i was having a horrible time and Later that night, I just started sobbing. Yeah. And 
I was so upset at this culture where like that was expected. And they were like congratulating me for being on the receiving end of this sexual advance from a stranger. And, um, they, one person told me like, just give it a few months. You'll be corrupted just like the rest of us. And I was so disenfranchised by that. I was so upset. Yeah. Um, and it kind of told me that that had happened to them too, you know, that they had those similar experiences where people invalidated that that was a big deal and were like, mm-hmm. oh no, this is actually a positive thing. And I like vowed at that moment to never do that to anyone else. Um, but I think it really opened my eyes to these social and cultural expectations that promote like, this is just how it is here. If you want to be with us, you have to do this. So Ben, you were saying like, if you want to date in a same sex relationship, you're going to have to be sexually active. You're going to have to put out or else no one would like you. If you want to be accepted in this friend group that goes to this club and is fun, you um, like, I guess we're cool if you drink, if you don't drink, but uh, expect to be touched inappropriately. It's fun. And I'm mad about that. I always will be. Mm-hmm. And I just, I don't know. Do you have any reactions <laughs> to my story? I feel so like exposed right now. Yeah. And this is just a small example. Like there, there are these cultural expectations. So like, how can, and I don't know, like I even think back, what if I was in a different situation and I didn't feel confident in it, like dancing or being large. I'm like, I'm six foot three. I'm in a large body. I'm athletic. Like there are like these things about me that make, like are built in safety factors mm-hmm. almost. And like, I just like, how does, how can someone come into a environment that has had so much experience, like with sexual assault and being hurt and hurting other people and boundary, cro- boundary crossing. And like, how do we keep people safe? Mm-hmm. How do we give people the, how, like, that can't happen. I hate it. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, well, and first of all, just like this anger that you're describing that that you felt then, and, and it seems like you feel even now, like yeah, oh, that just makes so much sense to me, right? Like, yeah, like your boundaries were crossed, like you felt violated, and not only like is there kind of like that primary, whoa, what just happened to me? There's also this an invalidation. This is like not the fact of a deal. Like this is actually cool. This is a cool thing, and mm-hmm. like, like that's not you. matching, yeah, with with what your experience is here, and yeah. So I mean, talk about like, yeah, to feel angry about that, yeah, it just makes so much sense to me, and I feel like it's just, I can't find the right word to say that that's a tricky situation to navigate. Right, it just sounds so trivializing mm-hmm. to what a, what a much larger thing that is. Uh, so Charlie, how did you and Ryan learn to like respect one another's values and boundaries in this romantic relationship you were in? Because you said like before it was such an awful experience with some other people. Yeah. Um, like what made that a good experience? Uh, yeah, I, I feel like part of it was just because I had had so many experiences with other people that I really did learn how to be more firm in my boundaries and be okay and I really did face a lot of rejection because I wouldn't put out. And I kind of just was like, okay, like that's a reality of my value set. It will interact with sometimes with, with the, a population of gay men where it, I'm going to have to stick up and just have to be like, you know what? 
then it's not worth it for me. Like I, I was happy to be single if someone wasn't willing to go to be my partner. Right. Um, with Ryan, it was a little bit interesting. I met him two weeks after we came out and after he came out, sorry, <laughs> after, after he came out and initially like we weren't dating, we didn't expect to meet each other. Right. And there were all these like pressures, like religious pressures and school pressures from BYU and also like contractual pressures from like Desiree book and church entities. And so I think in a lot of ways that complicated it further because there was like so much pressure to not be together. And like, it kind of pulled into that like childhood repression stuff, you know? Um, Once we were like dating and in a relationship, um, Ryan, I hope this is okay to say he, he was new and I had to kind of instruct him on what consent was and like what my boundaries were and kind of like, maybe guide him a little bit through his own gay adolescence and understanding um, physicality and like the want to be with someone and like um, a lot of communicating like, and it, it, it sounds like we just communicate a lot, but it was really hard. Like we had a lot of really difficult conversations and our feelings got hurt sometimes. And like our protectors came out and we put up walls sometimes and, it, it was difficult and we just kind of muddled through it and I'm really grateful that he was willing to stick it out because I was and still am a hard person to be with. Um, and it, I'm grateful that he was able to like discover his values through the process and that they were closer to, they're close to mine. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I, I do wish there was some sort of like context for it. Cause I, I didn't have anyone to talk to that really understood the situation. It was really difficult. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was possible for me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. A lot of like compassion, self-forgiveness. Uh, is that a good answer? Um, yes. There was a lot of, it was difficult and it sucked. And I kind of wanted more of, it can work. Well, it, no, it, it, <laughs> but it, it can work. Like I really believe, but Ben, it's going to be hard for you. Like I'm not, I don't want to sugarcoat it. it. It was difficult and it did suck. And yet like we were able to stay true to our values and so it's possible, but I, I think I, I'm not going to pretend that being a gay member of the church and keeping the religious values you grew up with is going to go along with social currents. It's really difficult, and they're from a lot of different ways. But if it really is your value set, it's possible to live. Yeah, like I know it. I have a strong testimony of it because I was able to do it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, thank you for sharing that. I know. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so what do you think of that? <laughs> well, I, I think it highlights like just a couple really important truths with, which is that like it, it, and, and I don't want to be too not hopeful again to here, Ben, but, but yeah, it's hard and it's possible. Right. Um, and communication, it's huge to any relationship, but like, I feel like we sometimes are a little bit glib, like, oh, like, you, you know, you just communicate, and, like, it's always going to be, like, so easy. But, like, no, it's not. It's actually really hard to be a human with another human and to be figuring out our own our own values and our own boundaries and, and all these things and then doing that in relation with another human. It's both, yeah, like, an incredibly wonderful, enriching learning experience, and, like, it's also really hard, too. I will say, Ben, that we both stuck it out. We both always turned into each other. We kept showing up for each other. We gave each other time and we got a really good therapist. Like we, Ryan put in a lot of effort and I did too. 
Yeah. And it made things easier because of it. Yeah. So someone who's new into this dating scene, what advice would you both have for me? Oh, wow. I love how you personalized it. Ben, my advice for you would be to not judge yourself. Like to, to not be self-critical and to allow yourself to make mistakes and yet also build boundaries within it. Mm-hmm. You know, like flexible. I think of like... um I think of like, you know, that building in New York, it's uh 475 park, I think. And it just looks like, a, like a bunch of square windows. It's really tall. Sure. Okay. So it's a very controversial building, especially if you live there. Cause some people love it and some people hate it. It's like ultra modern. Um, and it for a long time was the highest resident residential tower. And it is a really flexible building and it's like engineered really well. And there's like, um, f- multiple floors in a row where it just completely, it doesn't have any um, like dwellings there because the wind can go through it. And so this building like bends and moves a lot. And so if you're at the top, you're like moving a lot. And there's like a ton of intricate planning, but then a lot of flexibility. Mm-hmm. And I feel like that's the advice I would give to you going into this dating world. I love the idea of like, the 10% hesitation to really trust that and have impeccable boundaries around noticing and what you're going to respond and how you're going to respond to that 10% hesitation. And then also be flexible enough to be like open to new experiences, not closing yourself off and also being able to be compassionate and forgiving if you make a mistake. And because that does happen. And I think what you were saying about Jordan is interesting because like the first time there was an issue that made you feel bad about yourself and probably made it feel like like kissing a boy was evil and it made you feel crappy mm-hmm. and probably distanced from God. I wouldn't say that it felt evil. I would just say I was really disappointed in myself. Yeah. Which is that self-critical thing you were talking about. Yeah. And, and but like you have to have compassion there because you didn't know, you know. And but then later you made better decisions and you're able to get a clearer view of who you are and what you wanted Mm -hmm. and probably communicate that to your partner as well. Um, So it really is. I don't think there's a perfect recipe. It's going to be really dependent, but talk to people as much as possible. Make sure your values are your own values and not coming from external places Mm -hmm. and be open to new experiences, but also like stick up for yourself. Yeah. Trust that you're going to make mistakes and it's going to be hard. And yet there is hope at the other end. Yeah. And I do plan on being very value driven and sharing those values and, and being with people who respect those values. And it, it's, it's likely, I hope this, this might be uncomfortable to hear, but like, it's likely that the first time you're, it's, I mean, it's been how many, 10 years, it's been a decade since you last kissed a boy. Um, it's been a few years. Yeah. <laughs> and it, it is going to, like, it is difficult to like understand how to, be like a romantic and sexual person within your value set when you've never practiced it before. Like you, I like, even though you're coming up on 40, like you really haven't had the gay adolescence still as far in terms of dating. Yeah. And so go easy on yourself and understand that like, it's probably going to be hard and you're going to feel stupid mm-hmm. and that's okay. Yeah. And I plan on keeping, you know, my, my friends and loved ones really involved in what happens and talking through things and, like before dates and after dates and um, 
because like I know a lot of things, but experiencing things is a different is yeah. it's a different ball game. It's nice. Like you've done a lot of simulation, and now you can play a game. And it it reminds me of basketball practice. Like you do shell drills, and you do defense and offense drills, and it's so drill based. But then in the game, like those drills prepare you. But then there's you're saying it's like rehearsing for a play because a sports analogy won't work for me. Uh, a play is a little bit more stringent to me. But it's like learning improv, I guess. <laughs> or so yes and. <laughs> yeah. So I don't know if that's helpful. But it is possible. It's possible to be in a healthy, value-driven, monogamous gay relationship. Mm-hmm. It is. I like that helpful part. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. Wow, well, this really took a different direction. Gosh, what, what would I even add to this? That was beautiful. That oh, was really, thanks. yeah, I really like that. Yeah, I I think something that's really important to know, like, so as you're starting your dating journey, or as anyone is starting their dating journey, just like you said, like, this is an experiential learning uh, experience, right? Like, like, you may have ideas about, it, it might be this, it might be this. But yeah, you'll be experiencing things and listening to those signals, right? Like, is this in line with my values? Is this not? Or did this just make me feel weird? Or just like those kinds of things. I think having that curiosity, that self-compassion, paying attention to how you feel. um, Yeah, what are those trying to tell you? Yeah. And I love that you're including friends and family. You have that social support there too. I mean, dating comes with heartbreak and stuff too, Ben. I don't know. Oh yeah. Uh, no. It's, it's, it's also, I mean, dating's the best and dating's the worst. So. <laughs> <laughs> oh, what, what a fun journey I have. Ahead of me. It's like inviting yourself to repetitively fail and be hurt, but you learn a lot. Well, like it's a fun time. Yeah. Sometimes. And there's amazing experiences and there's really difficult ones. Yeah. Your heart will sing and it will be crushed. <laughs> Wonderful. Well, thanks, friends. What are going to do great? What man. a great decade my 40s will be. <laughs> we're excited for you. Um, so as we're kind of finishing up, is there anything you haven't been able to say about consent or maybe healing from sexual assault trauma that feels like you want to give it another go? Yeah. How's that? It, it, it reminds me of like... <laughs> like saying a prayer and anything else we might be in need of <laughs> like just tell us what that is yeah. right now yeah. Could you conceptualize it I, I think one thing i want to say that if someone has experienced sexual assault um their healing journey is their own and it looks different for different people for some people that looks like Western talk therapy for other people that looks like building safety in their own bodies. And it's a yoga practice or it's a journaling practice or, you know, that can look a lot of different kinds of ways and there's not a right way for that to look. Um, but the, I would want everyone to know like there is healing to be had out there. And if you're in that place where it feels like maybe there's not like, I really deeply believe that there's, there's hope yeah. always. I, believe so deeply that God loves us and is super aware. And Ben, like if you're looking for a person or a specific experience, like I think you can pray for that and ask and say, God, I'm looking to learn this. Please invite someone into my life who will help me learn it. Like I believe that I've I've actually done that. It to be honest, at one point I had so many bad experiences with different men that I knelt down. I was like, God, I just want a boyfriend who won't try to assault me. Like, I just want to find a man who w- won't be triggered or off-put that I'm not sexually active and who will just learn how to be my friend. I want a boyfriend. And I found someone. 
and it didn't last. It was never meant to, but like I learned a lot from it and I felt like God gave me that. And back to what you were saying, like, I also think God is so compassionate and forgiving, especially in these experiences where we didn't know what to do or how to act or we're unprepared and we criticize and judge ourselves, but the savior doesn't. And so and obviously people have different beliefs and different values. This is questions from the closet. <laughs> so we do talk about God, but like, I, I believe that bringing deity into that healing process works. And I, I believe that the resurrection isn't just something that happens later, that, that our hearts and our nervous systems can be resurrected now and re- receive healing. We can become more sure of ourselves and our values and our bodies and feel comfort and regain it when it's been lost due to situational factors beyond our control. So Abigail, to end the episode, we've talked a lot about like what consent isn't. We've shared some stories. We talked about Ben's dating life. So as I go into like these relationships, whatever they look like, I don't know. Um, (laughs) How do I know that like I am getting consent from my partner and how would they know that they're getting consent from me? Like what is consent? Like how will I know that? Yeah. I, I and I love I love that you're asking that and I love thinking about that. I think a lot of times we think about what consent isn't, right? Like in the law we'll see consent is not present if this person is unconscious or if they've been threatened or kidnapped or what all those kinds of things. But I really like to think about what consent is. And the framework of consent that I really, really like and I find to be extremely valuable is affirmative consent, which is the presence of a yes and not just the absence of a no, right? So especially I think where this is really, really important um, is in the beginning of relationships, right? Like for two people who don't really know each other yet. So really uh, practicing that active affirmative consent or if it's an escalation, like a new kind of physical touch within a relationship. Mm -hmm. So I think personalizing this, like thinking about for you, what does good consent look like for you? Like you should think about that. Some of the things that come to my mind when I think about what is good consent, right? Yeah, it's active. Enthusiastic, it's yes. En- it's enthusiastic. But I think like by that too. I mean, people always always say that, right? Like it's enthusiastic. And I think what is really meant by that, like I like enthusiastic or engaged, is that that's where we're thinking about like if it's if there's like that tug of like, oh, I don't know. That's like the lack of enthusiasm, right? So, and it's okay if like one day you don't know, and the next day you're like, oh, actually, I do feel enthusiastic about this. Yeah, yeah. And then I think thinking about things like it's ongoing; it can be withdrawn. You're allowed to change your mind. Mm-hmm. Um, that's that's okay. And likewise for your partner, like we might be trying something new, and then one of us might be going, like, actually, I'm not, I'm not sure I'm comfortable with this, or maybe like I just don't really want to. Mm-hmm. Um, thinking about that so it's it's that ongoing nature and obviously voluntary (laughs) right and then yeah like that verbal that verbal check-in so often when i'll ask students like what is consent they'll say something like oh abigail it's a it's a it's it's like a vibes check you know (laughs) and it's like i'm like oh i have this really disappointing truth to let you all in on and that is that we're not all as good at reading the vibes as we think we are and so that's where this consent piece comes in and we'll come in for you and it's It's that check-in i feel like people are afraid like if i say something it'll make it not romantic yeah or i'll kill the mood yeah before i kissed ryan for the first time i asked him i was like is it okay if i kiss you and yeah. he waited. He thought for a little bit, and he was nervous. He was a horrible kisser. It was so cute, but <laughs> he said he was like, "Yeah, it is." And then we kissed. Yeah, 
And like, how great is that to know that you wanted this thing and another person wanted to do this thing with you? Yeah. Like that's actually an incredible feeling. And so, and that would be another thing, like consent doesn't kill the mood or kill the vibe. Like it just enhances it. Like that's awesome to know I want something and this other person wants it with me and we're going to share this thing together. Mm. Like that's an amazing thing. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you for the advice, friends. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you so much for coming on and sharing your expertise and also allowing us to dig into our own past experiences and maybe some future ones. Uh, that took a turn I wasn't expecting, but like, I feel like it's going to be helpful. Thank you so much for facilitating this. Yeah. Thanks for having me here. Yeah. Thank you for joining us today. If you have enjoyed this or other episodes, please consider leaving a review, following us on Instagram, Facebook, or YouTube at questions from the closet or sharing this podcast with someone you love. And as always, please remember that we do not represent the church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints or Brigham Young University. We're not trying to be prescriptive or tell anyone what to think or what to do. You heard three perspectives and there are many, many more. We encourage you to listen to other voices and hear a wide variety of experiences. If you would like to submit a question or share a comment about today's episode, you can email us at questionsfromthecloset at gmail.com. Until Until next time. time.